I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Okay. Welcome, everybody. (laughs) Welcome, welcome. Hi. How do we even start this one? (laughs) I don't even know. I mean, I feel like I've personally just hit that point in quarantine. And again, I was talking to you where like, maybe it's because my period's about to come up, but I also think it's just like, They were talking on Daily Zeitgeist about how this whole situation is very similar to the stages of grief that you go through. Mm -hmm. And so like in the beginning of quarantine, everything was kind of like different and you just hit different stages as you go. And like for me, I really feel like I'm hitting the stage where I really want to be done now. (laughs) And I I don't want to be stuck inside anymore. I don't want to be not seeing my friends anymore. I don't want to be worried about my family anymore. I don't want to be canceling things. And um, it's hard. And I think that that's kind of like, I think I've done a pretty good job of staying optimistic thus far. And like now I'm just Uh kind of hitting my depression slump. (laughs) Well, that's understandable. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I had that feeling the other night where I just kind of was like, just, I had this moment of fear of the unknown where 
honestly, having all of this be unknown is actually kind of helped me because it's not like I'm like counting down days or I don't know. There was something in letting go in the beginning of all this where I'm like, as long as I'm safe and my family is safe and I'm doing the best I can, I just need to let this happen and get through it. And then I had like a moment the other night where all of that kind of acceptance just turned into like pure panic of like, when am I going to see my mom again? When am I going to see my friends again? When am I going to have this food again? When am I going to, you know, it's all these things. And it's so, it's so natural. I mean, luckily I was able to kind of get into a better headspace after that, but I think I had to be scared for a little bit. I think I very much have been a proponent of letting go. This is so far outside of your control that there's, Mm -hmm. there's no reason to be like very anxious about it. Uh, And that's how I was up until like this week. And I still feel that way as far as like, this is outside of your control and there's only so much you can do. But also I think at this point, the uncertainty is spiking my anxiety. Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't like not for so long. Yeah. And I really don't like not knowing when it's going to be over. And I understand that like me and the rest of the world, like that's everyone. Uh, But you know, it's just good to acknowledge where you're at and like, I would suggest to our listeners that they also do this. Contact your friends, contact your, call your mom and just touch base, like have a mental health check-in because yeah. it can be really overwhelming. And I think also a, a part of that, and I made a, a status on my Facebook about this today, but I think a, a large part of that feeling of over, um, of being overwhelmed can be feeling like you don't have a right to be upset or sad or anxious or anything else because in the grand scheme of things, how bad do you have it really? And so you can talk yourself into feeling like I don't have a right to be upset and that can add to your anxiety. And it definitely has been for me because I've been really hard on myself and criticizing, like talking back to my brain anytime I've been like upset or even bored because I'm just like really Keegan you're bored you know what I mean like people are dying you're bored um but I think we just have to be gentle (laughs) we do we have to be very gentle with ourselves and that's it's a very normal thing for people to you know, obviously be more aware of their own present circumstances than other people's because we're living our own circumstances you know and I gotta say if it weren't for my friends Lexapro and Xanax, I would be feeling the same way. <laughs> Luckily, I'm on a, a healthy dose of uh, anti-depression and anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's been helping. I usually yeah. don't have to take many Xanax, but I've had to take a few during this time, and it's really helped. And that's so, okay. We all got to do exactly. what we got to do. They are prescribed this. to me, everybody. Mm-hmm. They are prescribed to me. Okay, well, let's... Let's talk a little bit. So you were just saying that, you know, when is this going to be over? We're so unsure. Well, I heard both on the radio and when I went into work this morning, I heard, um, well, first I heard them talking about what Trump said. And then I saw Trump speaking about how he wants to start opening up some states again as soon as possible. And I love that his example of it was sports. He was like, we all miss sports. We all want our sports back. (laughs) And I'm like, okay bro, I get you. But like, also in the beginning of all this, he was like, Hey, state governors, you guys take care of this. I'm not going to give a stay at home order or anything. And now he's saying, I'm going to open these states up again. And I'm going to start, you know, slowly 
reducing social distancing and things like that. His messaging is incredibly unclear um, because he has also said recently that he is going to leave it up to governors to decide whether or not they are allowed to reopen their states as early as May 1st. Exactly. Which And now, yeah, and now he's not leaving it up to the governors anymore either. I, I, I don't know. I'm very confused about the messaging on this because here in California, our stay at home order has extended until May 15th. I believe it will probably extend longer than that. Yeah. But he has essentially said April 30th for the nation, but that if governors want to open up their states in May, then they can. And I'm like, we, why, why? <laughs> yeah. We need more structure from the top. We need more leadership. Yeah to know when it's actually safe because if you start leaving it up to people, people want to get their economies going again. And I totally understand that. But if you start leaving this decision up to states and they decide to start reopening things, we're going to see another spike in cases and this is going to last even longer. Exactly. Well, and people, you know, it's really on everybody's mind how are we ever going to get back to normal? I think that's another thing that everybody is trying to figure out. And our governor of California, Gavin Newsom, started to speak about this a little bit this week. And he was talking about what some of our normal experiences might look like while we are um, integrating back into our regular lives. Um He was saying that it will definitely not be business as usual right away, uh, and it really won't be until there's a vaccine and all the new cases of the disease declines. And when the public does reopen, doctors and nurses should be prepared for a surge in patients. So it's exactly what you just said. There's a big possibility that when we start integrating back into the world, that those who don't know that they're infected could be infecting others, and there could be another surge. And also businesses, schools, and childcare facilities will need to keep up physical distancing. Uh, So all of this sounds obviously incredibly difficult. So he spoke a bit about some of the specifics like dining out. He said, you may be having dinner with a waiter wearing gloves, maybe a face mask, dinner where the menu is disposable, where half the tables in the restaurant no longer appear, where your temperature is checked before you walk into the establishment. How fucking Hunger Games does that sound? Taking our temperatures, it's worth it, but like, damn. Anthony and I have been rewatching The Hunger Games. We awesome. just finished Mockingjay Part One yesterday, so we'll probably okay. watch Part Two tonight. Uh, so yes, extremely dystopian. And also, I'm going to try and patronize these visit these businesses when this is all over because, of course, they need it financially in order to keep going. I've been buying all my produce from local restaurants just because it's like something that I can do to try and it's something I need and something they're offering in order to keep their businesses going. So I will eat out when we're able to, in order to like give back to these small businesses, especially. But can I just say that like, there is nothing that sounds less appealing to me (laughs) than having my temperature take it. Like the whole point of going to eat out is to kind of like escape and relax Yeah. And I feel like that will just make me anxious. (laughs) Yeah. And to have your waiter wearing gloves and a mask and like, would we have to wear masks? How would we eat? Like, it just seems so bizarre to me. So 
about concerts and social gatherings, he said no large social gatherings until a significant portion of the population is immune to COVID-19 and the vaccine is available. So who knows when my boyfriend's going to put on a show again? We don't know. <laughs> I saw um, a um, CNN article that says that we may be social distancing in one way or another until 2022. Like it's quite possible, not the way that we are now, but as far as like things being business as usual and having, being able to attend concerts and things like that, large gatherings probably won't be back to normal. That's insane. That's absolutely crazy. Well, this is interesting. So schools may have to rearrange their desks. So there might also have to be staggering start times because of that. So kids might not be able to go in for full days, which honestly, like this time last year when LAUSD was on strike, we were, you know, working for smaller class sizes. And now it's like, well, hey, we got smaller class sizes possibly when we come back. I'm interested Um, to see the ways in which our lives and society will be changed uh, after this. You know, we were also reading articles about how a lot of people are going to be leaving cities after this, like uh, as a side effect. And I'll say even myself, like, I don't think I've ever thought more about not living in a city. Yeah, than I have now because I'm looking at the lives of people I know who like have property, own property, and yes, it's still tough on them, but it's not the same because like they have big yards or their house is on a lake or yeah, like there's all these ways for them to get out. Whereas like if you live all on top of each other in a city, uh, it's difficult. And then also a lot of people they're estimating that a lot of people will leave New York City. Uh, yeah. after this just because of how that whole thing it's, went down there it's impossible to walk around too so max and i have been taking penny on like really long walks every afternoon when i get home from work and we usually kind of cut through like the neighborhood streets and we walk in the street because there's really no sidewalks and so it's pretty easy for people to weave around each other when it's nice out and like today there's a few moments where it was kind of difficult and then we got to the sidewalk no sidewalks. <laughs> sidewalks are tough, especially with a dog. So we had a man with a dog, a woman with a dog, and a woman with a baby. And we had to pull over three times and stand in someone's yard to give them enough distance to walk through or else they're walking in Burbank Boulevard, which is busy. Right. So it's like we had to just kind of like let it go. I don't know. It was just frustrating. I'm like, I'm not walking on a sidewalk until this is over. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, much. it's true. It's hard living in a city like this whenever this is happening. Cause like, of course we want to get out, but it's, I, I also am interested to see, not interested in a good way, but I think it will be fascinating to see what this does to everybody's mental health. Because even mm-hmm. for me, I mean, I talked about my anxiety and my depression have been kind of like hills and valleys throughout this whole thing, but also Mm -hmm. something that I've noticed and I've noticed with my friends and also with Anthony is there's almost a level of agoraphobia when you do go out because Mm -hmm. like, I want to go out because I'm so, I don't want to be like stuck at home. So I'm like, let's go on a walk or whatever. But when I go on a walk, I'm anxious. And then I'm like, I kind of just want to go home. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that is normal when we're rebuilding our lives in our space we're not building our lives out in the world right now we're completely we're we're shrinking our worlds to the size some of us of like bread boxes you know for people in new york city and for us who live in smaller apartments in la 
like we are able to now condense everything in our lives into this tiny space. So when we leave it, it doesn't feel as safe anymore. I mean, I haven't really felt that way on walks necessarily, but whenever I'm in public at all, like I had to go to the liquor store today and like that causes me some anxiety. Um, I'm also very paranoid of judgment. Oh yeah. Being out. Mm -hmm. Like there's just a lot of different things that we're thinking about. And I think that being away from home is going to be tough when this is over. Like, unless it's like a really slow, gradual thing, which I think it will be anyways. Um, it's going to be tough to go like a full day being gone or having a full schedule. You know what I mean? Yeah. We had a work meeting today and I was like, you know, when I know we don't know, like no one knows, but like, what's the expectation of when we can be back in the office? Because it's a, a big company that I work for. And they were like, realistically, we're not coming back until the end of the year, until next year, you know? So that's almost a full year of everybody kind of like working from home, not working in an office. And it will be strange to be around people. I'm watching movies, I'm watching TV shows, and I can't believe how weird it feels to like look at people. people hug? Yes, to see people in big groups. I'm like, oh God. We pointed out every time we like see something like a concert scene in a movie, we're like, ah, remember those days? Those were good days. Remember when we could touch each other? Yeah, this is Um, great. (laughs) Well, I only have one thing on my list of things to talk about today, Mm -hmm. uh, and it is not COVID-related. Okay. I just have one more COVID related thing. So we'll, we'll take a break from COVID. Okay. That sounds good. So mine actually, it's not even like for real, for real set deal kind of thing, but I thought it would be an interesting thing for us to talk about. And that is the top 10 Biden VP possibilities, according to CNN, because yeah. And it's exciting because in March, Joe Biden vowed to choose a woman as his running mate if he became the Democratic nominee for president. Uh, And that was in his final debate with Bernie Sanders. He was like, if I am your nominee, I will be choosing a female running mate. So CNN put together a list. It was a video that I watched, but they put together a list of who they think the top 10 uh, female VP picks might be for Biden. And yeah, what are what are their how did they think that they might work? Just similar policies and things like that or. So I'll go through the list and then I made notes next to them about kind of like either why it's a possibility that Biden could pick them, whether or not it's like a policy similarity or if it's a popularity thing. Um, There are like a few factors that go into this. And one of those being that if Biden were to become our president, he would be by far the oldest president uh in history because the the oldest up until this point is donald trump and he was elected when he was 70 years old joe biden is 78 so um yeah so it's a quite a large difference so who he picks as a vp is actually very very important um, because if he were to serve two terms that's eight years he would be well into his 80s by the time this is over and oh my uh, gosh yes and as we all know the presidency is extremely stressful uh and not that I want to just throw rumors out there but there have been there has been some speculation as to Joe Biden's mental fitness just by the way that he has performed in the debates and things like that. So Mm -hmm. um, I know that it is a concern for people 
that he have a good VP who could take over for him should anything happen. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go through this list. Uh, they did the list alphabetically. So it's in no particular order. Stacey Abrams. So she, if you guys remember, was a former uh, gubernatorial candidate in Georgia. She was only about a couple thousand votes shy of being the first female African-American governor of Georgia. And as we remember during that campaign, it was extremely crooked. The person who she was running against is also the person who was making the rules uh, for um voting and things like that. So there was a lot of voter mm -hmm. suppression that was happening during that election. And it's almost certain that that's why she lost that race. But she is extremely popular. She is an African-American woman. And so she would be a good pick in that way. One of the things that makes her maybe not as good a pick is that she doesn't have as much experience as other people and that she doesn't really like Biden that much. Oh. <laughs> so I don't know whether or not she will accept the gig if it's offered to her. She I don't think she would. She said kind of recently that she does think she would make a good running mate. And so maybe she thinks that she could do more good uh, if she were in that position. But she spoke against the way that Joe Biden handled the Anita Hill uh, hearing. It, yeah. it was something that she says shaped her watching that growing up. So I have a feeling that if she were to accept that position, it'd be something that they would have to discuss. Oh, yes. Tammy Baldwin is a senator from Wisconsin. She is extremely smart, and her state of Wisconsin is a really important win in terms of delegates. So that could be a good strategic move for Biden. Uh, she would also be the first openly gay vice president pick in history uh, to run Ooh. on a major ticket. So that's something to keep in mind. Catherine Cortez M Masto is a senator in Nevada. She leads the Senate Democrats campaign arm right now, which means that she's really, really good at raising money. And she's close friends with former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, who is also close friends with Biden. <laughs> so okay. that could be a reason why he might pick her. Val mm -hmm. Demings is a representative from Florida. She's an African-American woman. She's, she was the first female police chief in Orlando, Florida, and she was one of only seven House Democrats chosen by Nancy Pelosi to serve as a manager during Trump's impeachment hearing. So oh. she could be a good pick. A lot of these picks are minority women, um, partially because... I hate putting it in these terms, but they, these are political terms that it would look good for him to pick a, a minority woman. Yeah, it's disgusting, but it's true. It's true. It's politics. Yep. Uh, Tammy Duckworth, senator from Illinois. We know her. We love her. Uh, she would be the first Asian American to appear on a major ticket for a major party, period. Not a woman, wow. just the first Asian American. Um, and she's from the Midwest, with it, which is a big draw. And she's a veteran, as we know, uh, which is also a big draw for people in the middle of the country. Yeah. Uh, Kamala Harris, senator from California. She's been whispered about. I know that we talked about that because she dropped out of the presidential race to us what seemed like very early on. I remember yeah. us being like, why is she dropping out of this race so soon. Uh, it's right. strange to us. And I remember bringing up that it's possible that she was gunning for a vice president position. Mm -hmm. um, and after she dropped out, Biden alluded to working together in the future uh, whenever mm -hmm. he tweeted at her when she left the race. So it has been speculated that he may pick her as a vice president. Mm -hmm. 
Amy Klobuchar, senator from Minnesota. Uh, she's super Midwestern. People oh, yeah. like that. <laughs> Minnesota yeah. has been historically kind of a swing state, like a swing-ish state. Uh, We're typically blue, but it depends on the candidate, I feel like. Right. It's not as much of a swing state as, say, Ohio, but it is not as much of a blue state as California. So it's still Midwestern. There's still largely rural areas in Minnesota. And so it can go either direction. Uh, So Mm -hmm. having her on their side, also just this very Midwestern woman, she's like a Midwestern mom. She is. On their side is, is a, would be a possible like good pick. Michelle Lujan Grissom is the governor of New Mexico. Uh, She is the highest ranking Latina elected official in the country right now. And so that would look good. Elizabeth Warren, senator from Massachusetts. We all know how I feel about Warren. Um, Yeah. She has a huge following, especially among younger and more progressive voters. But Mm -hmm. I don't think Biden will pick her because she is so far left. And he has said recently that he doesn't want to pick a VP who differs with him majorly on any big issues. And well, I can see that. Yeah. And you don't want to pick someone that agrees with you. Yeah. And and specifically Medicare for all. Uh, And while Warren has been a little wishy-washy on Medicare for All. She wasn't as gung-ho as Bernie was. She's definitely more progressive on the Medicare front than Biden has been. So he may not want to pick her. And also she is 70 years old. So she may not be young enough uh, to to take that position, given that we need somebody young in case, just in case. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the last one is Gretchen Whitmer, who is the governor of Michigan. And apparently Joe Biden has a podcast, which I didn't know about, but apparently he does. Uh, And on his podcast, Whitmer was one of his first guests and he praised her as, quote, an outstanding governor and, quote, one of the most talented people in the country. So the only problem with Gretchen Whitmer, she's also fairly young. I think she's like 48, so she would be a good age. Mm -hmm. I think one of the only potential issues is that right now, the right is having a field day with her. They do not like her, um, in part because of the way that she's handling uh, the coronavirus outbreak in her state. She wants to keep everything closed. And of course, two people on the right to whom the economy is the be all end all rather than human lives, they have been going after her pretty fucking hard. I think even Ted Cruz posted something and had to delete it because the information was incorrect uh, about her. So because there's all this kind of like right wing propaganda against Gretchen Whitmer, my concern with choosing her as a running mate is that you won't have as much of a pool for those centrist kind of rightly yeah. voters, which I know. And I think he's going to consider that. I well, think yeah. He's that, you know, I think the DNC is going to consider that. I think that that's part of why they pushed for Biden in the first place was because yeah. he is this kind of like centrist figure who's not super progressive. And to be honest, at this point, to me, you needed that really progressive voice to get people like excited to go vote like Bernie. Mm-hmm. But if you yeah. don't have that, then what you need is to get, you have to get people one way or another. So if you don't have the progressives super excited to vote, then you need to get the centrists out there. So exactly, exactly. 
Well, I will touch really quickly on the fact that Trump cut funding for the World Health Organization. I just wanted to touch on this really quick. So the United States is the World Health Organization's biggest donor, and they contribute more than $400 million every year. And the World Health Organization supports the world's poorest and most vulnerable people. And of course, right now, they're working really hard to address the coronavirus, but they are simultaneously addressing polio, measles, malaria, Ebola, HIV, tuberculosis, malnutrition, cancer, diabetes, mental health, and so much more. And Trump has the audacity to accuse them of severely mismanaging and covering up the coronavirus outbreak and wants to halt funding while they review their actions. Are you fucking kidding me? I fucking hate this guy so much. Like they have been saying since January that this was going to be an issue. It is fucking Trump's administration and Trump himself who dragged their feet for six fucking weeks and didn't move on this that has put us in the situation that we're in right now for him to turn it around and blame the WHO is infuriating. It's infuriating. Well, it's him. He doesn't want, Max said this so perfectly earlier. He doesn't want to be a good guy. He wants to be perceived as a good guy. So even though he's, he could have done things to prevent this and he didn't, and he knows that people know that. So now he has to point fingers elsewhere because his followers will respond to that. They will start digging into these conspiracies because these people are everywhere. It's crazy. The The amount of conspiracy theories I have seen on the internet and on Facebook, it's, it's appalling. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's like, you know what? I don't think the doctors and nurses, you know, working for the government know what they're talking about. I think we should listen to Jimmy in his mother's basement. I think that's who we should be listening to. Mm -hmm. He has a YouTube channel, so he definitely knows what he's talking about. He knows what's up. So Trump, of course, had to point out that China only contributes roughly $40 million a year as well, just to get a little dig at China in there. So I, I didn't write who said this, but someone said, had the HWO done its job to get medical experts into China to objectively assess the situation on the ground and call out China's lack of transparency, the outbreak could have been contained at its source with very little death. So he is kind of using this, like what I think is very like racist rhetoric to kind of like turn on the Chinese and also show that they are only contributing roughly 40 million when the United States does 400 million, I think is really shitty. He's trying to create this really racist narrative that I think is really going to be damaging in the future. Yes, it absolutely is, is already damaging the number of racist attacks or comments against Asian Americans in this country has gone way, way up. Uh, And also there's proof of it. I can't remember exactly because I didn't make notes on it, but um, there was an episode of the Daily Zeitgeist, like I think last week or something. So I'll try and find the article listed in their footnotes. Uh, But they were discussing the reason why Trump is now pointing the finger back at China. And they actually, the White House consulted essentially like a PR firm to try and make themselves look better in any way possible. And they're the ones who told him to start calling it the Chinese virus because it can deflect the attention off of their administration and the things that they've done wrong. It's incredibly shitty. And it's this man, this is why, listen, guys, I don't love the prospect of a Joe Biden presidency, but this is why we all have to get out and vote for Joe Biden because this man, he cannot be president. It is dangerous. When you are the leader of a country, 
it is your job to be the voice of all the people and to protect all of your people. And he does not care about that. He doesn't care about who gets hurt. It doesn't matter that he's putting Asian Americans in this country at risk. Uh, It doesn't matter. So not to bring it back to that, but please fucking go vote. Please vote. Trump has also claimed that he pulled funding from the United Nations, withdrawn from global climate agreements, and criticized the World Trade Organization, all because they're ripping off the United States. So he's on a fucking roll. But luckily, the United Kingdom donated an additional $65 million to the HWO. The HWO? The WHO. (laughs) Um, Just days before Trump said that he was pulling funding. So luckily, there are other countries that are actively supporting the World Health Organization, uh, which is definitely uh, helpful since our president is being a jackass. So thank you to all the other countries that are picking up the slack. We really appreciate it. Uh, We wish that our president wasn't such an asshole and would not cut funding for something so important. But we have no control over him, apparently. So No, we don't. I mean, I swear to God, all of like. All of this makes me want to like go live in a cabin in the woods, garden and live off the land and never have to talk to other human beings ever again. Because, <laughs> um, Keegan, excuse me, you were just saying in the beginning of the episode, you're like, I miss people and my friends. And you're I, like, I'm moving to a cabin and never seeing anyone again. <laughs> I do miss people and my friends. And if I had the choice, I would have my family and friends live near me. But I also am so fucking sick of human beings and their shit that I just don't yep. want to hear about or talk to anybody else because because they suck. <laughs> well, luckily, Keegan, it's our job to keep up with what's in the news and we get to read it every single week. I'm so stoked. Um, <laughs> so well, stoked. we got a email from a listener about what they're doing during this trying time. So I am going to read that email right now. Please and, do. Uh, the subject line is things keeping me going during Corona time. (laughs) I love it. It says, hello, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now. I just listened to your latest episode and would like to share what I've been doing during quarantine. I'm currently in high school. So my teachers are giving me plenty of work, but in my spare time, I've started gardening. (laughs) Aww. My Mima always enjoyed it before she passed, so I've decided to pick up my gardening shoes and replant my landscape. It's been really therapeutic, especially since everything feels like death right now. Other than that, I mostly just go on TikTok because I downloaded it as a joke and now I can't stop. (laughs) Warning, it cures boredom but is also a hellscape. (laughs) Oh, God. Hope you both have a great day. Sending lots of love, Rain. I love it. I love this. And I was just talking to you before we started recording that. Honestly, I think gardening is saving my life right now. It's, it feels like it's giving me purpose. And like yesterday I had a scare with my goldfish. (laughs) Oh no, not Mabel. Mabel. And I know that that sounds really silly, but she was swimming upside down, like (gasps) swimming upside down. And I Googled it and they're like, it's probably just like a, um, usually this happens to goldfish where they like end up having like air in their bladder and it flips it, their buoyancy gets all fucked up and they swim upside down. So she's, oh she's righted now and she's okay. But I, I had a breakdown where I was like oh, crying no. and I think to Rain's point who wrote us this email, when she said everything feels like death right now, I think that's 
part of why gardening is so important to me and also why I was freaking out so much about Mabel because I was like, you cannot die right now. Yeah, you have I, to stay alive right now. I need you. I need you. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so I think that that's, it, we all have to find those things that give us like a little bit of peace during mm -hmm. this time. And for me, gardening is a huge thing. Also, I don't know if I've said it on this podcast. I've definitely said it on my worst date, but people make a lot of fun of TikTok, but I have to say, I love seeing people's creativity. I fucking love that people have taken this time and done something like, have created things out of it. And I think that exactly. like TikTok is kind of cool like that. So. Yeah, I was really into Vine when it came out and I'm annoyed by like the TikTokers like that whole thing kind of bothers me, but there's definitely like, I'll go like read articles with different TikTok videos in them, but I don't have the app itself, so. Well, it's just like any social media platform. There's always people who use it or people who get famous on it that are annoying, you yeah. know? But um, I think the concept of it, that we have this ability to essentially make films, like it's just yeah. like little bitty short films. Um, that's cool, and I like that. I think that's really cool too. All right. Well, we made it through another mini episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to send in an email like Rain did, go ahead and uh, send in how you've been getting through this time to neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also direct message us on Instagram and follow us there at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. We have a Twitter that we sometimes use at Yamp Podcast. Are we going to try the different way we did it? Yep. Okay. Who starts? You. Why? A. N. F. Podcast. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so dumb. Okay, um, let's see. We also have a Facebook business and group page. You can go ahead and rate and review us on that business page and chat with your fellow listeners in the group page. Um, let's see. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We put up another new review this week. You guys have been sending in a few during this quarantine time, and we really appreciate it. Keep it coming. Uh, you will be featured on Reviews Day Tuesday. Let's see. And if you don't already, go ahead and listen to us on Radio Public. It's a free way for you to listen, and it helps us out just a little bit. Awesome. All right, you guys. With all that being said, we encourage you to, to rage, rage on. on. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.